Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. In previous podcasts, I've conveyed to you how important I think it is to respect and embrace differences and respect the rights of others. And now more than ever, it's important because these are turbulent times in in our country. And it's important that we interact with each other, that we step to each other formally and informally in a way that it doesn't offend or it doesn't make anyone feel less than they should. Not that we would do it intentionally, but we might. We might do it inadvertently. Because I take nothing for granted, because I don't think that I know everything and that I'm always going to do the right thing. And because I care about how I affect people, especially people I care about, but people in general, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I don't want anyone to feel slighted. So to help me and to help you, to give you information about how to embrace differences and how to interact with people who may not look like you, I've invited my guest, Dr. Diana Artis, to help us work through this because she's the expert. Welcome, Dr. Artis. And I apologize for the snafus today. It's just one of those days. Oh, that's okay. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. So why don't we start with you sharing your educational and employment journeys with our listeners so they can get to know you. Okay, that sounds great. So I began this journey as a student of psychology, and I actually studied and became a clinical psychologist. And at the time, the university where I matriculated, they were one of the first places to incorporate cultural competency into the curriculum. And so this was back in 19, late 1980s, early 1990s. And they taught us these skills to help us recognize and receive our clients in ways that will increase their feelings of safety and trust and connection. So the training was based on the fact that not everyone's the same, that different cultures have different ways of interacting and different relationships with therapy. And so it was very exciting. I did my dissertation on racial identity attitudes, ego identity development, and how that impacts achievement in school. 
And then from there, I practiced in the field for a while. You know, I worked in family therapy. I worked with adolescents, did some inpatient work, worked with folks who were in drug treatment programs, eating disorders. So a range of communities and spaces. And I actually had an opportunity to live overseas in Johannesburg, South Africa, about four years after apartheid. And so that was a great place to practice these skills of cultural competency as a therapist. So working with schools who at that time were enrolling Black and Africans of color into the elite private schools that previously only enrolled white Africans. And so it was working with the administration, with the teachers, with the parents on both sides to help them come together and embrace differences so that the school experience would be successful for the students. That was life-changing. And then when I returned to the States, I discontinued my private practice and actually moved into working in communities where I use these skills of cultural competency to help folks learn how to embrace differences, to respect differences. And that work took me to independent schools and charter schools and parochial schools, some universities. I've also worked with wealth management firms and tech firms and nonprofits. So a lot of different spaces. And increasingly, this is a topic that many employers, agencies are interested in pursuing because our world is becoming so much more diverse and our workspaces are so much more diverse. So that's a little bit of the background. Your area, cultural diversity or cultural competency, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's the hot topic. Yeah. Especially after Mr. Floyd's murder and the racial unrest, you know, the systemic Mm -hmm. racism, whether people want to believe it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, I think people of color know that it exists. Yeah. There's a, a heightened awareness and sensitivity by more people who aren't people of color. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know whether that is all just white people. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to classify people anymore. There was mm-hmm. a time when I did, especially as an attorney, when I did work with the government, I knew how to classify people. Now I'm not so, so sure. Mm-hmm. But I do know that it is the person's right to classify themselves. And I know from experience that in some instances, when people who may look like they're black fill out forms at a new job and they say they're white, mm-hmm. HR people have said, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. And I've had to train them to, to, to understand you. That's not your call. Right. They say they're if they say they're an Indian, if they say that they're white, if they whatever they say they are, it's a self identification. Mm-hmm. It's not for you. And they look at me like, well, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. The individual has the right to identify, and I think you know you were leading into this with the question of increased interest in this topic from people of different backgrounds. Certainly people of color. It's pervasive now. It's pervasive. It is pervasive. Almost every employer is looking for a DEI uh, consultant. That's true. And I think it's because, you know, unfortunately, George Floyd's murder, 
and the events of the summer drew attention to situations that those of us of color, so anybody who's not white, have been aware of, right? It's not been new to us, but a light has been shown on it in a very powerful way for a lot of other folks. And I think being in our homes, you know, it's kind of like a perfect storm. So being in our homes, you know, with COVID and having the TV on 24-7, a lot of people have paid attention to this and his murder really had a significant impact. And so, yes, to your point, lots of businesses, schools, just everybody is looking for a DEI consultant. And they're looking to, you know, they say they're looking to change the environment, to increase the diversity, to increase the feelings of inclusion, to increase equity. The challenge, though, is that there's a real spectrum in terms of those who are committed to the work and all that is involved in the work and those who are responding to, you know, this energy that has taken hold in our country. Well, I think it's a step forward, whatever the reason. But to your point, if they're not, if their if their commitment is not authentic and they're not fully committed to exploring diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. and embracing it and acting in furtherance of those three concepts, then it's it's a waste of money. And I know from experience that, you know, there are, there are companies that are willing to waste the money. Yeah. It's what they feel they need to do so that they can get through this and get to the other side. And, and there are employers who are genuinely concerned because not only are our workplaces more diverse, but our families are more diverse. Yes. Yes. And that is the driver. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, there's definitely a need for it. And I agree with you. You know, it is a step forward regardless of where they are on the spectrum. The challenge is that if they are doing it for show, you know, and they're not sincere, it actually can have a negative impact on the work. So, for example, I have worked with companies who have hired consultants prior to myself, and it hasn't been successful, or they've heard about other companies where it hasn't been successful. And so they enter the, the training space kind of arms folded, a little bit skeptical. And, you, you know, you expect that there will be some skepticism in the work for sure. But when they speak about it, they're describing situations where the results haven't been positive, where... Employees have been disgruntled where they feel like, you know, it's just another training they have to go to to check the box. And so my approach and my firm's approach is to really take folks kind of deeper. You know, we tell them bring their oxygen tanks because in order for this to be successful, you really have to spend a lot of time and energy connecting with one another and going deep, you know, beyond the superficial where many people want to stay. And it's, it's challenging. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. And it's necessary. To do it right. You're absolutely right. But, you know, to do it in a cursory fashion, you know, superficially. Yeah. Which is what sometimes happens because you all, especially for profit mm-hmm. enterprises, mm-hmm. they're always looking at the bottom line. Yes. How productive is this employee going to be if they're in training for diversity training for the entire day or the half day? Mm -hmm. 
what am I, how, how, what is this going to cost me in terms of engaging a consultant and then having downtime? How can I get this done cost effectively? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are real, those are real issues. Those are real issues, you know, and when they're thinking about the dollar cents, I mean, and you'll appreciate this as an attorney, is that what they don't realize is that without the investment in this work, there's always the risk as workspaces become more diverse that harm will happen. And then you have lawsuits. You have people that, you know, allege discrimination in various ways, shapes, and form. It really is an investment for them. And it's a way of saving money, perhaps in the long run, avoiding lawsuits by investing time and energy to dig into this work. And there are many levels, right? There are many ways in which to engage, but definitely to get the language correct, you know, to help HR folks not make the mistake that you described earlier, where they're going to tell people how to identify, looking at forms that ask you to list gender, gender identity. I mean, it's just become so complex that firms do themselves a disservice by not engaging with this work at some point. Yeah, because, you know, there's so many things that are changing in our world. Mm -hmm. How people interact with each other, what people are going through, transgender, the transgender transition is one of the one of the things that because I have someone dear to me that recently embarked on that path, I know that it's become more prevalent, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been, I started to say it hasn't become easier. It's never easy, but it is more doable than it was, say, even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's more support, but I don't think that individuals, say, in families, in workplaces, have caught up with the fact that it's easier for people to transition, but it it hasn't become easier for people to accept it. Correct. And that's the problem. Correct. Yeah. And I think, yes, people can accept it on a theoretical level. You know, they can accept it on a personal level. When you think about businesses on a financial level, you know, there are concerns, okay, how does this impact my business? What changes do I have to make? You know, they worry about, well, now what boxes are we checking? And so there's less focus on the individual, which is where we should put the focus and more focus on these other criteria that are not as important in the long run. Well, that would depend on your perspective. If I own the business, Mm -hmm. while I may be concerned about an individual employee or my individual employee's my primary concern is keeping the lights on, keeping the product moving out and being produced and moving out. So my focus is going to be on productivity and making sure that my employees are not distracted, to use one employer's uh, word, because someone who is transitioning from one gender to another gender is using a certain bathroom, you know? Mm-hmm. Why do I care? I personally, I don't care who uses the bathroom as long as there's one for me. Right. But there are those who are offended. And I mean, whether they're, whether it's justified, it's real. And there may be others who think, who are like-minded, let's say. Yes. And that is where 
trouble begins when there is more than one person who feels a certain way. One person feels offended and talks to other people and gets them riled up. And so it becomes a problem. And to your point, the person, as my father would say, the principal party involved, the person making the transition is feeling some kind of way because they're being treated in a fashion that is unacceptable, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so then the challenge for the employer, you know, to your point about productivity is, okay, if we're going to talk dollars and cents, cost benefit. So if this person who's transitioning is feeling oppressed in this space and the employer is not doing anything about it, you know, they certainly could try and file some lawsuit about discrimination. And so it, one would think that the employer would think long-term and say, okay, you know what, perhaps we should invest some time and energy into a discussion about these topics so that at least people are aware that people have terms and language and understanding. And, it, and DEI work is not intended to convince people or tell someone how to live their life or who to embrace. But what it is designed to do is to help create these spaces where we are embracing differences, which is helping us understand that the workspace is very different than it once was. And we want to provide you with the skills and strategies and language to coexist with others, even if you disagree. And that's it. We need to become, we need to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know whether you've noticed, but I've noticed a lack of civility Mm -hmm. in the workplaces that I've been in and out of, well, I guess last year, because I haven't been in and out of anybody's workplace lately. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's just an anger and a belligerence Mm -hmm. and a rudeness that Mm -hmm. I don't know the origin I don't, you know, I think to myself, were you raised by wolves? Mm-hmm. But it's a lack of civility towards <laughs> strangers. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not used to that. I'm not used to seeing that <laughs> behavior in workplaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And, you know, I don't have any research on this, but uh, my sort of armchair hypothesis is, that ins- I love technology. I love technology. And I wonder how much technology is contributing to this. And I guess what I mean by that is we spend so much time interacting with tablets and phones and laptops. And the amount of time that we spend interacting with one another becomes less and less. And so these social skills that we were taught, we don't have as many opportunities to practice them. And so I wonder how that might be connected. And also, you know, technology allows us to move at such a rapid pace now. People are so impatient. Like if you don't, you know, if you don't have an answer in 30 seconds to your question, uh, folks are frustrated. And so that, I wonder how much that also contributes to the lack of patience we have with one another and, you know, what you're describing that we see more of in the workplace. And we just were able to slow down a little bit if it might help in some way. Well, I think, I think you've got a point because when people in the workplace, when employees identify a problem, they expect resolution immediately. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like 
when I tell you something's wrong, fix it. That's right. (laughs) And if it's not fixed in a time that they deem appropriate, then it becomes huff and puff and I'll blow your house down. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think that the media, television, Mm -hmm. newspapers, social media, those outlets, those platforms have given people a false notion of what their rights and privileges are and what they can do and can't do in a protected situation. And they have a rude awakening (laughs) when they, when they approach, when they approach people and they think they know, Yeah, you know, it, it, it amazes me. I remember years ago, I had gone, I had traveled to DC. My oldest mm-hmm. friend, been friends since we were four years old. She was getting her master's in DC. Mm-hmm. I hopped on a plane, a train, went to DC, and I got a call from my boss saying they needed me in Michigan because a woman, an employee, had alleged that she had been discriminated against because she had not been promoted. Okay. Her coworkers were up in arms. Okay. I mean, of course she should have been promoted. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I after I go to the graduation, I get back on the train, I go home, pack a bag, right? go to the airport. And, you know, I'm standing there and, and, and I talk to the complaining employee mm-hmm. and I look at her file and I'm thinking to myself, you got a lot of nerve. <laughs> You're doing good to have a job. <laughs> You know, but I don't say anything to her. No, of course not. (laughs) You know, so I'm talking. So then I just I'm I'm conducting this investigation, and I, you know, I asked her her coworkers. I said, "Hmm, suppose I was to say to you that so and so didn't complete her work in a timely fashion. Would that have any effect on whether she was promoted or not?" Mm -hmm. And me, well, yeah, I would. I said, suppose I said to you that there were a lot of mistakes in the work she submitted. Mm-hmm. That have any influence on whether a manager or a supervisor promoted an employee? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> so tell me what you know about each employee, mm-hmm. each one of the coworkers. What do you know about the quality of their work? What mm-hmm. do you know about whether they're punctual with submitting their work and whether the quality is good. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you know about any of this? Yeah. And they look at me like, I don't know anything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I look at them and it's like, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to conduct this investigation. And when I finish, you can rely on what I tell you, mm-hmm. on what I say. Mm-hmm. If I say there is no discrimination, look at me. Mm-hmm. I don't discriminate. I don't uphold discriminatory behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did my what I did, and then I went back home. I said, "No, there's no problem. Yeah. Let us let us sue us. <laughs> <laughs> let us sue us." But see, you know, if they watch television and they yeah. see how rapidly things yeah. in movies, that's not real time, right? Exactly. <laughs> Forwarded at least a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that the you know the investigation should take place in a prompt and thorough fashion, but mm-hmm. you're not getting a trial mm-hmm. within two weeks. You're not getting all that, and you're not getting any money in that short a period of time. Mm-hmm. What do you think? But they, you know, 
there are times when people really do feel misunderstood, mistreated, yeah. and discriminated against or harassed, whatever it is. And we need to create an environment in which it's okay to come forward with those complaints. Correct. Yeah. Whether it's race, racial discrimination, mm-hmm. whether it's gender discrimination, whether it's religious discrimination. We used to be a tolerant nation. That was one of the good things about us. You could have whatever faith you so desired. You could worship at any church. It was fine. Mm -hmm. But now everybody's an enemy. You know, that's interesting what you're saying. And I think it's because in the past we were more isolated, segregated, right? It's fine when you are in your part of town or you are working over there or sitting over there or studying over there. You know, we can meet at the coffee shop and talk about it and share experiences and it's okay. The challenge now is that folks who did not work together before or study together before are now working together and studying together. And so now we have to find a way to accommodate all these different religions, thoughts, perspectives. Let me just give you an example. So take a, an independent school where they can basically create their own calendar. They are not beholden to the state. And so when an independent school is first started, and if it's an all-white community, whatever holiday celebrations most of the people in that community celebrate, they put on the calendar. As the community becomes more diverse, and you have people of different religions, different backgrounds, different cultures, now part of this community, they are asking for the same recognition. And so that means, you know, in order for you to go to school, like you can't take every day off, we have to change some of the days that were celebrated, adding some, taking away others. And that's where the rub comes. And that's where the friction comes around accepting other people's religions and perspectives. It's the people who were there first who are now being asked to change, to embrace differences to the extent that they're willing to do that determines, you know, what the, the feel is going to be like in the community, what the, you know, whether it's going to feel welcoming or whether it's going to feel exclusive or whether it's going to feel inclusive. That's the challenge. See, I grew up, you know, in the Stone Age and there were and it it was a diverse neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There were there were white people, Mm -hmm. there were Italians, there were Irish people, there were Jewish people, there were African-Americans. I don't remember. I didn't have any Latina friends when I was growing up, Mm -hmm. but it was, you know, So there were different religions. There were Catholics, there were Protestants, there were Baptists, there were Jewish, you know, people that worshiped at a synagogue. Mm -hmm. It was just how you worshiped. It wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. But now, I mean, if there's, if you worship differently, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh no, this is unacceptable. And I don't know why that happened. When did that change? It just, it's very troubling to me. Yeah, you know, I think it's changing as the numbers are changing, right? It's shifting. And so, you know, I too grew up in a diverse community. However, those numbers are shifting. The diversity is increasing. 
right? The diversity within the diversity. There are some people who are starting to feel like there's no room for them. There's no space for them. And so there's all this push-pull, who gets what, who gets this, who gets that, who gets the next thing. But there are a lot of biracial Mm -hmm. children Mm -hmm. and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I, I, I love Annapolis and when I go there to visit friends, I'm just struck by the, the, the very interesting images of mm-hmm. older, pe- older white people with their hands, holding the hands of little chocolate children. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a lot of that. There is. Or, or Asian, you know, Asian children. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is wonderful. But, you know, I don't think everybody likes that. No, everybody doesn't like that. And- but- can't do anything about it because they can't control their children. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think, I wonder if it comes down to fear. You know, sometimes people are afraid of what they don't know. And if they just learned about people who are different than themselves, you know, step outside of themselves and learn a little bit about the perspective of someone other than themselves, then they might be able to embrace differences. You know what else? There are a lot of stereotypes out there. There are. And that's what people, I I spoke to this young man and he said, I'll never forget it. He said, well, I know that the headlights of the cars outside have been vandalized, but I just figured it was some black person. Oh my. And I said, really? (laughs) You know, I mean, I have to keep a straight face when I hear Mm -hmm. this crap. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, really? And why would you think that? Mm-hmm. And this is what he says. He says, well, that's what I see in the news. Mm. Yeah. And I thought about it. I said, you know, he's probably right. I personally don't watch the news. Mm-hmm. Because I, it's, it's just so, it's always so violent. Mm-hmm. I don't watch it. If I don't read it, I don't really know about it. And I said, I bet he's right. I bet he's hearing and seeing all the you know, high crime and whatever else is going on, black on black crime. And that's how he thinks black people live. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning about biases. So he has these biases that are informed by what he's watching. And he just looks for, you know, he watches things that confirm the biases instead of things that challenge. You know, there are a lot of black people out there that are not stealing cars. Right. But he didn't know that. He he's not doing but he was talking to a black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? I hear you. Well, let me just without going into the details of where I was working and what I was doing, mm-hmm. trust and believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would have thought he would have thought twice about saying that to me. Uh, okay. I have a way of getting people to open up to me. And he was very honest. Mm-hmm. And, he, and and so we're clear. He worked with people of color. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he had lunch with them. I doubt very seriously whether he socialized with them. Right. Exactly. Well, and he may socialize with them. I don't think so. Well, that would be a good thing unless he worked on some of his attitudes, right? But let's just say he did, right? No, see, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think it was the attitude. I, I don't think so. For him, it was an attitude. He wasn't the type of person. No, it was something I could not put my finger on. He was opening up to me and being honest. And he didn't see 
and I understand when you think you're being honest, you think it's okay because you're telling the truth. And that was his truth. Right. So that was his truth. So my question for you is when he was sharing this, was it your sense that he was wanting to kind of confess something that he believed and now thought differently? Or was he confessing this, sharing this as his truth? Like it's a fact, blacks steal cars. I think it was something that he believed as a result of what he had seen on television. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what makes this work important and challenging. Because let's just say, not him, but someone else who has those same beliefs, who is in a firm and is acting on those beliefs. You know, those are the biases. So you have an employer who has, you know, a diverse staff and there might be some black men on their staff and they're trying to decide, you know, who to promote or who to give some assignment to. And if in the back of their mind, in some place deep back there, some unconscious space, they believe that black people steal cars or whatever else they may think, this person is not inclined to promote or encourage a black man to move forward. So then we fast forward, we come in and someone says, well, you've been discriminating, you know, you haven't moved up your employees, your black employees, and they kind of look at you with this deer in the headlight. Like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. Once you dig in and help them unpack what we call this implicit bias or unconscious bias and show them how it's playing out, then they can begin to make changes. But they have to first become aware of it. So that man probably has other thoughts like oh, that sure. about other people. And he's probably not alone in his in his workspace. And so that's what we try to do in our diversity work is really help people claim some of the stuff that they have come to believe as their truth that is limiting and prevents them from embracing differences. He probably didn't know any other black people than the people that he worked with. Exactly. He probably did. They live, you know, I did some work for a client when their HR person was out on leave and they needed somebody to come in and do some things. So I went and I knew where Mm -hmm. I had never spent a lot of time in the area, but I was familiar enough with the area because I had some some white friends who lived there. And so I knew what I was going into. So Mm -hmm. so when I walked through the door... Everyone turned around and looked at me. I said, oh, yeah. Here we go. You know, for me, it worked out because it needed to. And because Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was there to do a job. They offered offered me a job. They wanted me to come in and run one of their departments. I said, no, I don't do that. (laughs) I don't do that. I said to myself, they'll end up throwing me out of here. But it is. I have been around white people who have never been around black people and they have stereotypes. And I, I don't know whether I may, I may have them edit this out, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. When I was in law school, one of my classmates said to me, this white, this white woman, younger than I, mm-hmm. she says to me, Beverly, you're the whitest black person I know. And I looked at her, I said, mm. is that supposed to be a compliment? <laughs> and she looked at me, you know, her eyes got big. I said, how many black people you know? Right, exactly. And she said, uh, 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 I said, why would you say something like that to me? 
Yeah. And she says, you do what you say you're going to do. You're on time. You're punctual. Mm -hmm. You're always on top of stuff. You do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you don't know many black people, but how many white people do you know that don't do that? Exactly. And she looked at me. I said, let me tell you one thing. You better be careful how you talk to black people. You could get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. But me, I said, and then I did. I'm only kidding, but not really. Not really. (laughs) You know, because I wanted her to know that she, what she thought was a compliment, based on stereotypes. Mm -hmm. See, you know. I try to make a difference. <laughs> I try to make a difference. I wasn't angry. I, quite frankly, I was taken aback, but I recovered because I knew I had to say, I said, no, you can't say that. Exactly. You really can't say that. Exactly. But the thing is, stereotypes, there is many times there is factual basis for those stereotypes. Yes. Yes. But they can't say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what people say is that it's not that stereotypes are a hundred percent untrue. They're just not the whole story and they're not true of everyone. Right. No. And, you know, it's just striking to me that, you know, when people say things like that to someone, I mean, they really do believe it. It's just part of their thought process. And that just speaks to how hard it is to do this work and to change people. But that's your experience. Mm-hmm. The other people that she was dealing with at the law school, mm-hmm. the way they conducted themselves helped her arrive at that conclusion. Yeah. yeah. So a dear friend of mine, when I told him, he said, you were absolutely right. But you know, she was probably right too, but you couldn't let her get away with it. I said, shut up. <laughs> Why did I even tell you? <laughs> it just goes to perceptions. Mm-hmm. False perceptions. And, you know, in in my book, Your Employment Matters, Mm -hmm. strike that, strike that. That's not the name of the book. (laughs) Your GPS to employment success. Uh I tell people, find out what the perceptions are about your generation, your race, your religion, whatever. Mm -hmm. And do what you can to dispel those by your conduct Mm -hmm. so that people realize that this is not true. <laughs> this is not more, no more true, no more true than if it was one of your people. Mm-hmm. They are different. Everybody's different. There's a, a variety of personalities and idiosyncrasies within any demographic. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you wouldn't think of it the way people are acting these days. No, you wouldn't, you know, and that's the problem is that people think they know the whole story. And they speak with conviction. And the work of folks like myself is to help them understand that they don't have the whole story and they need, there are many things that they need to unlearn. Well, we've talked about DEI. Let's talk about conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. What do you do to, to help people deal with conflict, resolve maybe interpersonal relations mm-hmm. or interpersonal issues with coworkers or family members or? Mm-hmm. A supervisor and, and a direct report. 
So with conflict resolution, what we do is let the, each side know that the goal is to achieve a peaceful resolution to the disagreement. Does not mean that they're going to ultimately agree. And I think sometimes that is the challenge in conflict resolution is that people continue to go at each other trying to convince the other of their opinion. And what we do is help them understand that that's not the goal. The goal is, I mean, if that happens, great, but the goal is to have a peaceful agreement about the conflict. It's teaching them listening skills. You know, a lot of times we don't listen as well as we think we should. It's helping them to uh, speak from the I perspective, to step outside of themselves and consider the perspective of the other. So if we, if someone is, if I'm in conflict with someone and I'm trying to resolve the conflict, for me to continue to engage in the conversation, just promoting my perspective is going to get us nowhere. If I, however, speak from the I perspective, so share my perspective and listen to understand their perspective, we may get somewhere. So asking questions about what they're saying with the intent of really trying to understand where they're coming from. And ultimately, I may not agree with what they are saying, and they may not agree, but we can come to a place of understanding. So I think that's the goal of conflict resolution is coming to a place of understanding, coming to a place of peaceful agreement about what the conflict is. And then if there is, you know, if there is a coming together, fabulous. If not, if the resolution is, you know, if the agreement is that we disagree, then the next step is to figure out, okay, how do we move forward with this understanding that we don't agree? Mm -hmm. So it takes time, you know, things like taking a break if you need to, coming back to the conversation, describing behaviors instead of describing, uh, describing attitudes and behaviors in terms of what you're looking for, instead of attacking, criticizing someone's behavior. Yeah, those are some of the basic skills. So saying things like, when you do this, I feel that. Yeah. Opposed to how you feel, that they, what, they, what, what they did or said, how it made you feel. Exactly. Instead of so describing, yeah, describing that behavior as opposed to just saying your behavior sucks or you're awful or that's going to get anybody anywhere. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when folks go into conflict resolution, they have to really be sure that they are seeking a resolution. You know, sometimes people enter those conversations really wanting to prevail. One has to really take a moment and investigate their true intent for engaging in the dialogue. And if it's just to, to win, then don't even bother. No, I, you know, that you make such valid points. You know, we're going to, I've taken enough of your time and I, I, you know, I hope that you'll come back and talk to us some more. Sure. Wealth of information. Is there anything you want to say before we sign off? It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I think it's great to have these conversations, right, in public spaces. And, you know, I love your podcast and you bring people in and you yourself talk about things that are important. Sometimes it helps folks to just listen to other people having a conversation. 
there are many ways to get at this embracing differences. So, you know, I appreciate the time being here with you and being able to have this conversation with you. Well, I, you know, we could talk, we know we could talk for such a long time, but I'm looking, I, I think I told, is it Joseph? Yes. I think I told him an hour. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to make him, I don't want to get him in trouble, make him mad. <laughs> he might not, he might not let me reschedule schedule again. <laughs> Joseph is great. He's wonderful. Keeps me organized. I'm looking at this, this tick, tick, tick. I said, yeah, you know, we better widen this up because, you know, we could talk for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's okay. We did start, you know, late. So it's all right. And I, again, I apologize for that, but thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I think that your, you you know, the the information you shared uh, will be helpful to people. I I hope it will. I hope it will. I hope it will. And thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. And, you know, folks can reach out to me if they want to continue the conversation. How, how can they get in touch with you? You know, the best way is through my email, which is info at obeducators.com. You want to say that again? Sure. Info at obeducators. So that's for olivebranducators.com. Or they can Google Olive Branch Educators. Well, I'm sure people will, someone will reach out to you if they, they take the time to listen to the um, podcast. Well, thank you, so you know post it. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, Billy. Will you be well? Thank you. You as well. Take care. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.